Welcome to the Straight Talk on Fleet podcast with Aaron Gilchrist. Each week, Aaron will be breaking down fleet management, trying to cut through the noise and get down to the real issues safety and operations leaders are struggling with every day. The goal will be to get to the bottom of how leaders can break down these silos of information, accelerate change management, how to use real-time accurate data to drive massive efficiencies across fleet-focused business processes, and to elevate people's careers with emerging best practices. Now it's time for the Straight Talk on Fleet. Well, welcome. This is Chris Luckenbill. I'm the VP of Product Marketing here at IntelliShift, and I'm going to be your MC for today's live recording of episode 31 of the Straight Talk of on Fleet. Today's episode is on key performance indicators, something that's all near and dear to everyone's heart. Uh, and why is this episode of Straight Talk live? Because we want to interact, right? We want to hear your thoughts about what we're talking about. We want to have questions and answers. So feel free to add to the chat any questions you have as we're going through uh, at any time. So just to get, get rolling here, our commitment is to get to each and every question that you have. And if we don't get to it live during this hour, then Aaron's going to personally follow up with you to provide some answers. So without further ado, it's my privilege to introduce Erin Gilchrist Rugg. She is IntelliShift's fleet evangelist. A little bit about Erin for those who don't know her yet. She was the 2019 Fleet Manager of the Year and spent 15 years at SafeLight Autoglass, where she oversaw all aspects of fleet operations. In addition to Erin, today, Erin's uh, hosting Kimberly Fisher, the Director of Global Fleet and Travel at NOV. And welcome, Kimberly and Aaron. Uh, let's dig in. All right. Well, it's great to see everyone. Can everyone hear me okay? Um, I'd love to see your beautiful faces. So as you come on, throw on your camera if you feel like it. I, I really love the interaction that we'll have in this format. But before we get started, you know, what do we do on the Straight Talk on Fleet? Um, well, we do this. We do these live sessions once, once a month. I host some keynotes. Um, as Chris said, I've done about 30 podcasts so far since July, and we've covered so many cool things. But the aim here is to create a community, right, where we can learn from each other, share best practices, grow in our career. So that's kind of why we do the straight talk um, on fleet. So back to our guest. I'm super excited. Kimberly and I have been friends for a long time. Um, She's been a mentor to me as well in fleet. We've served on client advisory boards together, but uh, Kimberly Fisher, wait, raise your hand, say hello to everyone so everyone knows who you are. This is Kimberly, everybody. <laughs> welcome, Kimberly. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you're welcome. So Kimberly, tell us a little bit about your role at NOV and then who is NOV and then we'll dig into our content today. So I am, as Chris mentioned, the Global Director of Fleet and Travel. So I have all of our responsibilities for our travel program, which is a true global program. I inherited that in 2015, as many of you have the same situation where somebody says, hey, I think you should do X. And you think, oh, OK, <laughs> I don't know anything about that, but all right. Um, and it's been a really interesting journey on that side. It's, it's really similar to the fleet side in that travel is very personal. So um, it was an interesting juxtaposition between the two roles. I have done fleet for NOV for the last 12 years, but I've been in the fleet industry for 22 now. So it's been, and, and like many of you, you fall into this role, right? Like nobody grows up and says, I'm going to be a fleet manager. Um, so NOV, the company that I work for now and have for the last 12 years is based out of Houston, Texas. We're an oil and gas services company. So we don't own any rigs or pipelines or refineries, but we touch every part of the process, either with our um, equipment that we manufacture or technology that we have developed. So if you're familiar with oil and gas up mid downstream, we touch each parts of those in some way. And we're in 62 countries now, I think. Wow. So, so Kimberly, that is um, interesting because when I think of service, it, I go to a lot of different things like the first thing I think is mixed fleet. So just tell us a, a little bit about the, the fleet that you're managing, how it's kind of so set up. So we have everything from an SUV to a class eight truck and everything in between. 
We used to have cars, but clearly cars are rarer and rarer to find. And it's not super practical for what my guys are, are using. Um, although the um, people who've been around in the oil industry will tell you that back in the day, they drove Crown Vicks out to the rigs, which I think would have been a really interesting thing since a lot of those roads are not paved. <laughs> but so we do handle everything between. And during COVID, interestingly enough, I inherited our DOT program that did not used to belong under my umbrella. It used to actually belong within our HFC group. And during COVID, again, it was one of those phone calls where my boss said, oh, by the way, <laughs> these people are all going to move under you. It's a great marriage, honestly. It, it makes a lot of sense. We work very hand in hand. We've been able to, you know, tighten up some gaps and holes in the processes that when we didn't sit under the same management, it was a little bit harder um, we also sit in the same areas now, so it's been a it's been a really good learning process for my fleet team, who was moderately ex, you know moderately exposed to to the DOT side, and a great also kind of education for our DOT side to see what happens, like how do we end up with the trucks we end up, and what that process is. So that's actually been a great sort of combination that came out of COVID. Um, that's that's great because that's gonna um, lend some. Um, you're going to lend some experience here when we talk about compliance and how you work closely with HSE. So I want to mm -hmm. circle back to that. But for the group, just to kind of circle back to what we're going to talk about today, we call this road mapping a successful fleet program, but really we're going to dig, dig into the three core topics. One is going to be optimization. So thinking about optimizing your fleet operations, what does that take? What does it look like? Um, leveraging technology, which is going to be a topic or a subtopic of everything that um, that we do on the Straight Talk on Fleet, because um, I've said it so many times, technology is not about if, it's just about when. And then the third piece is enhancing driver safety and compliance, which is always, it's a lifelong challenge. I know in my experience, um, safety and compliance go hand in hand and always a tough sell to the organization and to drivers. So, and then to kind of, round this conversation out, we're going to talk about KPIs. I mean, we can't not, um, as we think about optimization and leveraging tech and enhancing driver safety and compliance, KPIs are the way that we manage the success of our programs. So, so let's jump right in there. So let's start with, Kimberly, you talked a little bit about sort of how you got in fleet, but 22 years ago, um, you started, and, and remind me, it was with Cardinal Health, correct? Correct. Yeah. As a fleet manager. So how, how on earth did you land in the fleet seat? We always like to hear those stories. <laughs> so I grew up in Atlanta um, and that's where I started. I had quit a job that I had worked at for a long time and really enjoyed, but it became, the stress level became so high that I would literally wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh my gosh, did that get done? And I got to the point where I just couldn't, it I didn't have any control of the things that were causing me stress. So um, I went 30 days without a job. My parents truly thought I was never going to work again. <laughs> um, and then literally I answered an ad in a paper. So that dates it, right? Um, there were no recruiters. There was no LinkedIn. There was no, I answered an ad in the Atlanta Journal and Constitution that said fleet administrator. Had no idea what it was. And um, I answered the ad on a Sunday night. I got a call on a Monday and I was hired by Wednesday. And thus began my journey. Um, I started with a fleet of about 250 delivery vehicles. We delivered nuclear medicines to hospitals and clinics for a specific patient at a specific time of the day. So it's all radioactive, which was something I had to learn about as well. We did not use vans. We used Ford Rangers and Honda Civics. <laughs> Um, so it was just an interesting time and I had 250 vehicles within a year Cardinal who was our parent company bought our largest competitor in our segment and they were based in California they were three times our size and so I made the trek to California and overnight my fleet went from 250 to 1200 it was a much different journey I got involved I, I can remember I got a flyer from NAFA said, you know, it was the first time I'd ever heard about NAFA. And I went into my boss and said, is this something I should go to? And he said, yes, I think you should. 
And um, I was so appreciative because I, I, it's where I began to build my network of people. Um, this, as many of you know, this industry is super generous with knowledge and very um, willing to help you. So Aaron, I probably met Aaron in my second or third year of managing fleet. So I've known her for probably close to 20 years. And Aaron said I was a mentor to her. I guarantee you she was a mentor for me. Um, but that's kind of how this industry works really is just that sharing of knowledge. Nobody seems to be really protective about what they're doing. Oh, I can't let you know, which I, I've always been really, really grateful for and have certainly tried to give back in the same way, which I've received, which was such a freedom and such a generosity of spirit from other more experienced fleet managers at the time that I entered in. I spent 10 years at, at Cardinal. I moved from Atlanta to California and then to their corporate headquarters in Ohio. And, and then this opportunity came in Texas and, you know, I thought, why not? <laughs> and so I went from a fleet of about 1,500 overnight to about 6,000. And just a real quick funny, um, in the first week I was here, literally I got a phone call from somebody saying, hey, I need to order a 2,500. And I said, oh, okay, sure, no problem. And the next day I got a call that said, hey, I need to order a, a, two, a 250, okay. And then a call that said, I need to order a three quarter ton. The problem was I had no idea that they were all basically the same thing, just different manufacturers. And so I had to call one of my manufacturers and say, I'm going to need truck 101. And he said, well, when do you need that? And I said, today, <laughs> today. Um, and so again, it goes back to the people you have in your network. He came in, went over every spec on our trucks with me because I had never used three quarter ton trucks. The largest we had was an F-150 at Cardinal in my fleet. Now they have big class eights there as well, but I wasn't over that. Um, and I, I, that generosity of spirit again, where somebody came in, took several hours of their day, went over each of our specs, helped me understand why that was important in the oil field. Cause I came from the world of pharma to oil and gas, which is much different. <laughs> And um, really helped set me up for success in this new role, which, you know, I'm, I'm very appreciative of. I love it. Every one of us has a different um, how I got into fleet story, but it's always about, you know, kind of happening into the role. And I, the same thing happened to me, but I think the important thing to remember for everybody here is this industry is just really generous and really collaborative. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything you're challenged with, you can always reach out to, well, anyone on this call, I'm sure, but certainly Kimberly um, and myself, um, that's kind of what we're doing with the podcast is just having this environment where um, we can share and ask. And if I don't know something, somebody asked me, I reach out to the fleet community and ask them. So um, great story, Kimberly. Thanks so much for sharing. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, so let's dig into this first kind of facet here, which is leveraging tech. So before we dive in, I want to let you guys know that I have a few episodes of my podcast that I cover leveraging technology in some way, shape, or form. The first one is 11, which is like this pain and agony of switching tools and technology. So that's a great one to listen to. Episode 15 is a single platform solution. It's really taking you through the solutions that are out in the marketplace today and then how to find your happy place. And then finally, nine on AI video dash cams. I kind of, I do talk about AI video dash cams, but I really dig into technology as a basis to prop up your fleet program. So my friend, Sarah, um, she's with us today and she is going to be popping into the chat links to um, those podcasts that I referenced throughout that might help um, dig deeper into some of these um, categories that we're going to cover today. So when we think about leveraging technology, my mantra is if you build your tech for safety, you'll succeed in all areas of fleet management. So just like that's the thought starter there for everybody. So if you're thinking about like, how do I get there? You know, always think safety first um, when it comes to um, building your tech stack. So Kimberly, um, some thoughts on key tech and fleet management solutions that, that folks can use to enhance their operations. Maybe um, share some things you've done and are, are, or are doing in this space um, that's working for you. 
so I won't touch on this a lot. I want to kind of go to the, the telematics side in just a second. But one of the other big things is data analytics. The one thing I would tell people when they start down that road is understanding what's important to your organization. So we all sort of work in this, this path that this is important to us. This is important to us. But I would encourage you to touch with senior management to say what's important to you to know about. There were some things that I did early on in NOV from a reporting perspective. So we have three primary segments and I report to each, I, sorry, I give a report to each of our segment presidents annually about what their fleet's doing, how it's doing. And what I discovered is the things that I sort of was looking at in that first year were not the things that were necessarily key to them. And so being able to be flexible and shift to what you're hearing and asking questions of those key people. And oh, by the way, they're not the same across the three segments. So understanding and learning, and that just takes time and communication, what's important to the different leadership people that you may have to provide data to. Um, do not assume that it's a one-stop shop, that this is what everybody wants to see. You know, I have one segment president who really doesn't want to talk to me. He wants me to talk to the people that are his direct reports because he does not want to get into the weeds, which I can, it's totally fine. Like that's his choice. I'm good. I have others, two other ones who do want to kind of get into it with me and kind of go through the numbers and go through the data. Um, and they make decisions based on that. And so that would be my one encouragement with data analytics, because we talk about the lot, big data, big data, big data really understand what's important to your organization and what they're looking to get from you around big data. Kimberly, I would <clears throat> add to that, that sometimes they just don't know what they don't know. So well, yeah. Cater to them. But also, it's this matter of if we're using, if we're leveraging tech to get this data and we want it to make sense, right? We yep. know what makes sense. We know what makes fleet um, successful. We will dig into KPIs in a minute, but you know, it's showing them how they want to see things mm -hmm. and what they want to see, but also educating them on the things that will make you all more successful. And we yeah. know what those are, right? Yeah, I did have a note. I'm sorry. I did have a note that said, sometimes this may mean you have to define what that is for them. <laughs> like, yes. but I would really encourage you to really listen when they're talking and asking questions, because it may mean you need to tweak some of what you're giving them. Um, but no, 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 I completely agree. Sometimes it's so much information that you sort of have to tweak it and, and really say, hey, here's what I, here's, here's what you should be looking at. And then if they change it from there, but sometimes you have to help define what that data looks like. And there is, as you know, in this industry, more data than you could ever know what to do with. So the other thing I, if you're just starting on that journey is start in small bites. Don't, try to tackle the whole world at one time, like pick one or two things and begin to finesse that. And so one of the big things, we were late to telematics as an organization, or at least <laughs> much later than I thought we should have been. Um, we started this, got all geared up and I don't own the program. I do not, I work very closely with our HSC group. They actually own that, which I'm actually really grateful for, by the way, <laughs> that so I did not have to go organization, Is that um, enterprise health, health and safety. Yeah, health, safety, okay. and environment. I just want to make sure for the group that that they know what HSC is, but that's... Oh, sorry. Yeah, do you, health, safety, you and think it's great you guys work together because that's a rare thing sometimes. So. Well, and it's interesting. I think I had shared this with you. Um, the, the director that is over the telematics program actually started in one of our segments. And when we met 12 years ago, there was a little bit of a struggle about like one, I was new to the organization. It was so establishing who I was, establishing that no, 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 I really was over the fleet. <laughs> and we weren't going to have separate fleets per segment. Like that's not how this was going to work. Um, and so she and I had, you know, a couple months where we had to sort of work through kind of just how to work with each other. The thing that I've come to appreciate so much about her, especially watching her roll out the telematics program is her brain works much differently than mine. And so the things she would think about as we planned the roadmap, I would come away thinking, oh, I would have missed that. Like I would not, because my brain doesn't work the same way. Now it's not that she got everything right or that I, you know, some of the things I would have done wouldn't have been okay. It's that 
getting and developing that new respect for the way she sort of operates and plans. But um, we worked very closely hand in hand to roll out our telematics program. We were getting ready to roll it and COVID hit. So it delayed us by six months um, to get it rolled out because we just couldn't require people to allow strangers into their vehicles to install. We couldn't, you know, we, everybody's been pushed home anyway, so we couldn't really technically require them to come in to do this. And so about six months into COVID, we felt like we had a pretty good handle on how to do it and how to make it as safe as we could for people. Um, and so we started the rollout process. So really by mid 2021, everything was truthfully rolled out in our fleet. What's um, changed? Well, I mean, what are you seeing now? I mean, I love the fact that you got there. I know it took you longer. You <laughs> told me this before that it took way longer than you wanted. But so what are those things that have shifted um, due to just implementing telematics? So what's interesting is our preventable accidents year over year have gone out of have gone down about 13%. Um, and what's interesting for me is we drove less mileage miles in 2021, but had a higher preventable accident rate than in 2022 when we had more mileage um, because people were back out doing their normal thing. Um, so I just find it a really interesting thing. When we um, rolled out and did the blinds, because we did about a month and a half of blinds where the devices were in, but we didn't have any in-cab alerts. We were trying to get kind of set that baseline for where we were. Um, and we basically had told people, look, they're in the cars. We are not holding you accountable unless it's egregious behavior. And we had one gentleman in Wyoming who drove for an hour at over hundred miles an hour. None and of us have ever experienced anything like that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> what was interesting to me, though, was like he knew this was in the car. And yes, we weren't going to hold him like, you know, we weren't dinging anybody, but we did say egregious behavior will be addressed. And how he thought this was not egregious behavior, we were all sort of a bit puzzled by it. But um, so, you know, we had anecdotally said for years, we have a lot of speeders, they just haven't gotten caught. And the blinds really sort of we were able to go to management and say, see, if nothing else, the fact that we can reduce our speeding almost immediately when we turn those notifications on, that's huge because we've also seen the severity of damage come down. So what used to be, and it's hard, so it's a little bit tricky because as you know, parts and labor and all of that has gone up. But <clears throat> if you were to take a like for like accident and you were to look at the extent of the damage, that's definitely come down because we do know that people are not driving quite as fast as they used to. And so it's just, you know, less damage than we would have had originally. Yeah, I think we saw over the years and when I was managing a fleet, that severity um, came down. We saw things in, in Kimberly, you'll experience this as well. You do see things plateau. And then you have to, you know, redirect, which is really a great segue into this next um, topic, which is this idea of enhancing driver safety. You know, you can have tools and, and tech, but it's about driving the compliance around it. And so I do an episode on safety culture, which is like my favorite one. And it's episode 10. And Sarah will drop that in the chat. But I would say that that one in particular, I do a real deep dive on this idea of top-down leadership, you know, driving a culture of safety. But, you know, we as the fleet ops and safety leaders in our organizations have to really bring to the table um, for leadership what we need to focus on. So, you know, my mantra here on, on driver safety and compliance is showing the organization, of course, but showing drivers and operators what's in it for them in a way that they'll believe you. And that's really goes back to data, showing them that when we do this and severity drops, your chances of coming home safe and sound every day go up. So it's just um, really showing them you care in a real tangible way. So with it's like what's in it for them type of mentality. So Kimberly, what are some of the things that you're doing to like implement? I, I know it's an overused term, but I love it. It's this culture of safety. How are you guys kind of moving in that direction from implementing telematics and then going forward with something that more feels uh, cultural and maybe, you know, it's driver training or monitoring, but tell us 
what's happening from a safety standpoint at NOV? So we were really lucky in that we had um, a very senior sponsor for the telematics program. Um, our chief HSC officer, health and safety officer, really, really helped to drive this home to our other kind of C-level suite executives. And so we were really, really blessed in the fact that we didn't have to fight that uphill battle. What we faced, which any of you who have rolled this out faces from the driver is this is my vehicle. I pay for it. And you can't do that. And I, even though I don't own the program, I got several of those conversations because I manage sleep. And I can remember one of my guys calling and he said, Kimberly, you can't do this. I pay for this every month. You can't do it. And I said, okay, let's address that really quickly. You pay X amount of month to cover your taxes because we allow you to use this vehicle personally. But I guarantee you that none of that pays for this vehicle. And then I said, and let's be realistic. I do not have time, nor does anybody else on a Friday night, to sit in front of a computer screen and see where you're going. I don't care. I'm looking at three things. I'm looking at fast acceleration. I'm looking at harsh braking. And I'm looking at excessive overspeed. Like, that's all I'm looking at. Now, if you get pulled over in an accident on a Friday night, at, you know, whatever time, I'm going to probably go check to see if you were sitting in a bar for a couple hours. I, full transparency. But in general, I do not have time to sit in front. Like, I have my own life. And so sort of doing this kind of from a joking perspective with our drivers sort of helped get over some of the hurdles of, look, here's, here's all we're looking at. This is it. We have seen, um, we're trying to get to that place of gamification because we really do think that if we can start having facilities, and I don't even mean across your whole organization, but just within a facility to sort of see that race of, oh, I've been a month without any harsh breakings or accelerations, or I've been three months. Um, it's a little bit of a challenge because just of the way we're so decentralized as an organization from you know, and management scale, trying to get everybody, because we would love to get this so it is not um, punitive. I mean, it is always going to be somewhat punitive, right? Like you have to take actions for certain behaviors, but those certain behaviors are probably now less than 5% of our population. So what do we do for the other 95 to 97% who drive appropriately every day? And so that's where we're at really right now is starting to look at how do we reward people or recognize, that's probably a better word, individuals who are doing the right thing every time they get behind this vehicle. I define vehicles as almost a, a moving missile, right? You get hit by a three-quarter ton truck, even at 55 miles an hour, it's going to do some damage. It just is. It's a bigger vehicle. And if we've got any product loaded in the back, which then adds to the weight. So we've got all these people who really are now doing the right thing every day. And we can monitor it. We can validate. They're not speeding. They're not harsh braking. They're not accelerating harshly. What are we doing to sort of recognize that population who never has anything on their MVR, never has anything on our monitoring scale? Because we do scale it. Um, and we assign points. Like if you end in the red for the month, you get points added to your driver record. That works really well. I love the idea of the internal point system. We did that as well. Um, but it, it skin in the game for them. Mm -hmm. But also yeah. turning it around and recognizing those positive behaviors is infectious, you know? That's kind of where we are now. We haven't made any like final decisions. Um, we, you know, with, with the taxation issues that you have, if you give somebody a gift card or whatever, we're trying to stay under so they're not being taxed because you don't ever penalize an employee. So for us, a lot of it's about if it's a big facility and they've been incident-free from a vehicle perspective, I don't mean incident-free from an HSC perspective, but from a vehicle perspective. So nobody's, their driver records haven't changed. They've not had any dings on their, on their driver records. Um, or their driver profile, which includes the true MVR and our telematics program. Could we do like a luncheon for them where we pay for lunch and bring it in for everybody to enjoy? Um, but something that really recognizes, can we post something on our internal website that says, 
hey, this facility in Breen, Texas has had no vehicle incidents in the last you know, six months, year, whatever that time frame looks like. So that's kind of where we are now because to Aaron's point, you do begin to plateau. So we do have is this handful of repeat offenders who seem to, you know, get like the speeding, they'll start to creep back up. <laughs> right. Even though like there's this loud, obnoxious thing <clears throat> in their vehicle that says you are, and oh, by the way, they have time to reduce before it ever gets back to our, you know, system. So it's just an interesting thing to kind of begin to look at. And um, again, I work really closely with our HSC department. So it's fun to sort of brainstorm and we actually pull in not just the corporate people which is where I sit and where um, my counterpart sits but we also pull in some of our field people to say hey would this have meaning to the people that you service locally because what has meaning to me does not necessarily have meaning to somebody else and so you want to make sure that you're you're really making it meaningful meaning for the for, for the people who will be receiving it I, I love let's I'm going to stop right there for a second um my partner, Chris, likes to say, let's double click on that. But I want to highlight the fact that you said you bring some people in. So I think it's a best practice here when you're talking about driving safety and compliance in an org. And Bob Mossing's on the call. He and I have talked about this a number of times, is getting a group together inside your organization that can help make decisions and help you see the things that you are not going to see. Like Kimberly mentioned, you know, her HSC partner looks at things through a different lens. Well, everyone does. So it's a matter of like local leadership who oversees those operators and drivers, having an operator or driver or several. If you have technicians in your organization that do technical work out in those mobile shops that you're giving them that are also like the most dangerous tool you'll give them, having them be part of these discussions, they help round out the plan, whether it's how the vehicle is going to be upfitted. It's how the technology works, how it's supposed to work, what it's designed to do. It puts everyone at ease. And then those drivers, when the organization can see um, you're rolling something out, other drivers are like, oh, no, Sarah is a tech and Joe's a tech and they were on that committee. That's great. They represented us. So um, that's a that's the best practice, Kimberly, that I know will pay dividends for you guys um, at NOV. But another thing you mentioned was um, this idea of, points and metrics. I mean, we could talk for hours about the data that telematics provides and how it can enrich our overall fleet program when we bring everything together. But let's think about just, you know, KPIs in general on these top two things that we've talked about. And the thing that I like to say about KPIs is you cannot manage what you don't measure, right? So that's our mantra for this third topic, right? You'll never be able to manage it if you can't measure it in some way, shape, or form. And KPIs help keep us all in check, I think. Um, I did an episode just on KPIs, and it was episode 14, and Sarah will drop that in the chat. Thanks, Sarah. And that one really digs deep into each aspect of fleet management. So think um, safety, fuel, maintenance, um, auxiliary costs, um, you know, and it breaks down those areas and the core KPIs that um, we could measure, that you might want to measure. Um, we all know about things like total cost of ownership and things like that. But I have a great story about profiling and segmenting our fleets so that we can get better at uh, performance management. Before I talk about that, I want to let Kimberly share, you know, what are you guys measuring? And Kimberly, you can talk about it in terms of safety, um, you can talk about it in terms of efficiency, whatever makes the most sense, but tell us about what you're measuring um, and reporting on sort of to optimize your fleet operations, just generally. Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of cover three different things. When we first rolled out telematics, the big thing that we got questioned by senior management when this first started was, oh, great. So now you're going to make half of our population not eligible to drive anymore. And our response, because we have what we call a driver profile that measures where the driver is in our sort of acceptability is, so that's less than 1% of our drivers today that are at risk, like less than 1% based on our pre-telematics measurements were at risk. And they were like, oh, I'm like, okay, so out of 2000 plus drivers, less than 1%. 
would be what we consider at risk. And oh, by the way, they're at risk because it's actually on their motor vehicle record because prior to that, we didn't have anything else. When we, so that kind of got a lot of really immediate buy-in that we weren't gonna immediately like just throw out half of our driver population because as many of you know, if you're in a service industry, finding drivers right now is a bit of a challenge. Like it just is, finding employees in a service industry right now is just a bit of a challenge. So then when we added in the telematics piece of it, again, I mentioned we measure three primary things. That's it. We measure harsh braking, harsh acceleration, and overspeed. We don't even do street by street because if you're familiar with Texas, which is our largest driver population, we have things called feeder roads. And often the telematics device will pick up the speed limit on the feeder road as opposed to the interstate which could be a 40 mile an hour swing. So you don't wanna like, if the driver truthfully is driving on the beltway here in Houston, and that is 65 miles an hour, and he's going, you know, 65 mile an hour, but it's picking up off the feeder road, which is probably 35. It's not really fair to hold him accountable for that. So what we did was set everything at a top speed. Our top speed is 80 miles an hour. Excessive overspeeding is 85 um, because to our knowledge, there is only one highway in the US now that allows you to go 85 miles an hour and it's outside of Austin. And we have that geofenced so that if they're in that area, they don't get dinged for being 85, but they can't go over 85. Um, so those are the only things that we count for. We give, <clears throat> if you end the month in amber, and obviously this is time over distance, is the rating. Um, we've, we've struggled a little bit for those drivers who um, because we have ELD drivers, which are part of our regulator program, who are using currently a different device. And so we struggle a little bit because sometimes those drivers will hop in a pool vehicle at a facility and they'll get dinged and because it's not tracking all of their time spent in a regulated vehicle. Um, so we're, we're working through like, how do we make that equitable across the board? But in general, it's time over distance, right? So if you end in an amber, for the month, you get one point. If you end in red, you get two. This is added to your driver profile, which includes all your information from your motor vehicle record and any at-fault accidents. And how often are you monitoring um, in terms of MVRs? Are you doing like continuous MVR monitoring? We are doing continuous MVRs in the states that allow us to. So we have one or two states that the states just don't allow it yet. Um, Louisiana actually used to be one of the states that didn't allow it, but they have now gone to it, which we're super excited about because it's our second largest driver population. Um, but yeah, we do continuous monitoring and we have found that that is a really great tool. You know, we're not any different than any of you. You have drivers who get DUIs and suspensions and they're not gonna probably volunteer that to you. Um, so when we used to do annual runs of a, population of 2000 drivers, give or take, we'd have drivers probably 25% that would come back suspended. Now it's suspended for various reasons. It could be for failure to pay a fine. Truthfully, in some states, it could be because they didn't pay child support. Um, but we'd also have ones that were truly because they got a DUI or a DWI, depending on the state. Um, and so we have found continuous MVR catches those was really high risk really fast. Now I will tell you that for things that are like failure to pay a fine, failure to pay a court, child support, we do allow them 72 hours to make that right with the state. Like they're suspended, like obviously they can't drive for us, but we do allow them the opportunity to go make that right with the state. They have to provide documentation that it has been made right for right for the state. And then we do rerun their, like we purposely rerun their MVR. Um, now, we typically wait about two or three weeks because, as you know, states are not super fast to get things updated. What we have found is that most people do not update their addresses with the DMV. I do it because I'm in fleet, but most people don't. If you move, you don't think about updating your address with the DMV. You just don't. So what we found is a lot of people are getting like they're not getting notifications from the state because it's going to an old address that might be three addresses ago. So we do allow them the opportunity to go make that right. but we. It's a very set time frame, and it is on them to make it right. Um, so, so in terms of 
you know, so you talked about the aggressive driving behaviors that you're measuring, adding points, allowing your organization to see everything sort of time and distance, which I think is best practice and continuous monitoring is also best practice. So when you think about implementing telematics and all the rich data that it has provided, what other efficiencies have you gained other than kind of, okay, we've reduced the aggressive driving, we've reduced the speeding, we've had positive upticks in the severity, which is so um, the what's in it for them story for your, for your organization and for your drivers is, hey, we're, people are getting hurt and we're getting less damage, which is really a great selling point. But talk about what have you gained in the areas of, say, fuel efficiency or maintenance management? So one of the big things that was not really thought through when we did this was because we didn't know we would have the shortages that we are having or have experienced over the last two years, was able to be able to do a movement report because as many of you will know, a facility will not give up a vehicle. Um, they want to hold on to those as long as they can. And what we've been able to do is then go to man their management and say, okay, this vehicle hasn't moved in six months. So utilization. Mm -hmm. And it allows me where I've got vehicles that are either been in an accident or the maintenance has gotten just too costly. And, and we're just like everybody else. We have repaired things in the last two years. We would never have repaired in the past, but it has allowed me to reduce some of that cost by saying, okay, here's this group of vehicles that is not being utilized. I can take them from here and move them here. And, and while fuel reports will tell you some of that, it's not the same as a use as a movement report where you can say, no, no, it truthfully hasn't driven right. in the Absolutely. last three or four months. Um, and that has saved us some money to be able to redeploy trucks that are being underutilized, put them somewhere where they're needed, either we've hired a new tech and we can't get a vehicle or the vehicle that they do have is just, you know, way too high from a cost perspective to repair, or frankly, it's been totaled. Right. So, so audience, I mean, what KPIs, what's important to you guys, what's working, what's not, when you guys think about these areas of, you know, leveraging technology, um, especially uh, driver safety and compliance is a really top, top of mind thing with distraction being such a problem right now on our roadways. We have more technology than we've ever had and we're having more accidents because no one's paying attention. Um, and then KPIs. So just want to kind of open it up a little bit. And, and Chris, I don't know if we've gotten any questions in the chat, but just, you know, everybody has, um, you know, your mic, your camera, raise your hand, share a story, ask a question. We'd love to hear from you guys on, you know, um, what you're doing that's working, not working, and any questions you have. Yeah, Aaron, thanks so much. <clears throat> so much good information. We've had some things come in. Russell Van Marder has a question about the continuous MVR that, that Kimberly just went through. Yeah, I was just basically curious if uh, if that was something that's set up through the state, um, like an online program, or if that's an outside agency that you guys pay to do that. And uh, so, how often is it actually um, pulled? So it's um, an outside agency. Um, the one that we utilize it through is called Samba. What happens is something changes on that motor vehicle record. So Kimberly Fisher's out driving and um, all of a sudden I get a ticket and that pops through on my MVR. It will ping some a Samba. We will at that point then actually run an official MVR to see what happened. Like what was it that got, that changed? So, um, so essentially it's an activity alert, right? Yeah, basically. In, in a continuous way, um, which so I think continually is pulling data from helpful. the states. States push data at different um, regularities, but it's pretty frequent. Um, and then again, our process is that if we get an, a notification that something's happened on somebody's motor vehicle, we immediately go and have the MVR pulled so we can see the detail of what it was. So in regards to this, to the Samba. Um, about what does that run roughly? Is that per person? Is it like a fleet charge? Um, it's and per then, driver. Guess, okay, it, and I guess the second question would be, can you do that yourself? So can I do it directly with the state myself? Correct. I don't know the answer to that. I'm sorry. Okay. I would I would suspect that that would become, depending on how many states you're involved in, Just that right. would become very cumbersome. 
and depending on how many drivers you have. Um, Samba is a per driver charge. We actually run ours through our leasing company. It's just a service that we do through our leasing company. Um, but you can go direct to Samba. I do know that. Yeah. And if you're not a managed fleet, meaning you're not using a fleet management company or something, we call that an FMC. If you're not using someone like that, then you can, if you have a single state or a dual state program, you can do that through the state. It's probably okay. going to be costly. It depends on how many assets you have. Um, if you go with an organization and if you, you can just like, honestly, um, Russell, you can Google this, um, but there are a lot of entities out there that do this. And a lot of times you can get a discount based on the number of drivers you have um, and, and, you know, the nature of the program that you're going to initiate. If it's event-based like Kimberly does, then um, it's likely that you can get a volume discount. Chris, you were going to say something? Yeah. And Russell, I don't know if I, of course, I have to do a, a, a pitch here for IntelliShift. Samba is a partner with IntelliShift. Okay. So not that that Kimberly wasn't talking about it from that perspective, but Russell, if you're an existing customer of ours, or even if you're not, we can connect you with a person at Samba if you want to talk to them directly. Okay. No, I'll Google it and just check them out and see what other services they offer and whatnot. So sounds interesting, you know. Yeah, it certainly is the best practice in terms of um, having an event-based view. Um, I, I think that, that that's another practice like telematics and some other things that mm -hmm. it's not about if, it's about when. Um, what else is going on out there, guys? What other questions or stories um, did we have from the audience? Yeah, Ann brought up that JJ Keller, who's another partner of ours too. And so, you know, I get to have these conversations with these different groups all the time, which is really exciting. But Anne mentioned that JJ Keller is another company that runs those reports. I don't know, Anne, if you have, if you use Keller and if you had anything you wanted to add to Russell's question. Yes. So hi, we do use it at Liberty Coca-Cola and um, each month, like every 30 days, they monitor or driver's progress, not only for um, i.e. child support or anything like that, but for any, it's just a random that they run and they provide us as managers, supervisors with feedback. So it, it works for us. Awesome. Thanks, yeah, Sam. Thank you You're welcome. Hey, I know we only have 10 minutes left. Hopefully everybody pop your questions in. But earlier, um, Aaron, when you were talking about safety and when Kimberly is discussing the challenges of the headwinds of driver perspectives, and I loved that Kimberly said, I say something similar when I'm on calls where she was like, I'm not going to be checking to see what you're doing. At, yeah, if you're at this bar or that bar, I'm not going to come find you at 10 o'clock at night because that's the perception. But Chris, if you want to join us, uh, he's been implementing too. And I think he has some anecdotes to share with us. Yeah, thank you. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, in the beginning, when we first initiated, we have, uh, we use Sam Saris, we have the front facing and outward facing cameras. We're starting to get a lot of pushback on a lot of our drivers saying, oh, you guys are just going to be sitting there watching us. And we had to tell them over and over again, it's like, we're not watching you. It's to protect you guys. And they didn't really realize that until we had an accident or two. Mm -hmm. And it was able to show that we weren't at fault. Yeah, uh, Our guys were doing everything that they had to do right. And it cleared our name and it cleared the drivers. Yeah. And uh, some of the nice things too is with at least the company I use, they do the safety scoring, kind of like how you guys do. Uh, right on the app, they can see how they're doing. And they kind of compete against each other because they're constantly monitoring and being like, oh, my score is at a 98. You know, yours is only at a 90. What are you doing wrong? So it kind of becomes a little competitiveness within our company as well in a good way. Yeah, I, I think I that's great. That. Healthy competition between drivers or even locations. So it's like empowering your local leaders to do something fun within their locations um, helps them be creative and helps them get involved with the program and then does a little bit of what you're doing, Chris, driver to driver, but like um, then the, the operators and the leaders are trying to, you know, compete against each other for the best safety scores, which is another great way to, to drive 
uh, performance. In exactly. Funny quick story about Aaron. So again, many of you heard that Aaron and I have known each other for probably 20 years. Aaron and I were in a meeting and it, I was still in Ohio. So it had to have been at least 15, 16 years ago. And Aaron started talking about this gamification with telematics because she's always been sort of on the forefront and wanting to, you know, do safety and that kind of thing. Uh, and very much in the lead as opposed to somebody like my organization. It's a little bit tagging behind. And I can remember looking at her and thinking, you are crazy. <laughs> like, it's crazy to talk about that. And now I find myself having those same conversations with our organization to say, hey, look, I think this is the direction we need to go in. To Chris, your point, like, hey, this will help our drivers get interactive with it. It helps engage them. And I just think it's funny how you know, you go over time. And when she first thought, when she first started talking about it, I thought, she is crazy. That is a oh, lot I, of I, Just to clarify, I am crazy, but <laughs> um, there's that. But I, it was one of those things that early on, I'm like, you know, looking at all this technology and I was sort of an early adopter, um, but I was worried about all the data. Yeah. And what were we going to do with it all? And how are we going to apply it to drivers specifically, leadership? Um, C-suite. And so I had this vision that I kept sharing and you'll hear about it. If you listen to my podcast, it's me kind of um, being able to bring that vision to life for fleet in general, that there is a way to go about this that actually works. And it took me a long time to figure it out. And now I just get to share it, which is great. And many of you are doing all those things um, and probably much, much more in your fleet. Thanks everyone so much for being here today. Really appreciate it. Kimberly, Gracious. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, great job sharing your experiences and stories. And um, as Chris said, if there's anything else you guys um, want to talk about KPI related, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or um, directly. I have my contact information on my profile on LinkedIn, my phone number, my email. It's the only phone number I have. It's the only way to reach me. So reach out anytime with questions. But how we like to end it on the Straight Talk on Fleet is we like to say, keep it real and keep it safe for Fleet's sake, which was Chris's idea from the start. So thanks, Chris. And guys, thanks for being here. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next one.